Open Kwong Door Media presents Storytime with Paul Door. In each episode, you'll receive a short adrenaline shot of a story straight to the mind, heart, or sometimes the funny bone, wherever that is located. I can hear your voice over the hum. And stay tuned after the story for Paul's Picks, where I indulge you with something I'm reading, watching, or listening to. This week's story, Mirror Box. V.S. Ramachandran treated phantom limb pain by developing a virtual reality box, or what is commonly known as the mirror box. Through research into neuroplasticity, Ramachandran believed that the brain could remap the messages being sent to the missing limb and re-establish a new connection that recognized the illusion it created. The ingrained body image must change in order for the phantom limb to disappear and let go of the painful memories associated with the loss. The brain must confront reality and reinterpret itself, recreate itself, resurrect a new body image. Ramachandran believed that if the brain could see the phantom limb physically, it would be able to remap this internal body image. Through a visual representation and repetition of new messages, the brain, and a new body image, one that recognized that the messages were communicating to a limb no longer there, could be updated. The memories embedded in the limb would be exposed and released. to make your own mirror box. Take one cardboard box with the roof removed and place a vertical mirror down the center. Cut two holes in the front of the box, one on each side of the mirror. Through the holes, the patient places the normal hand and the phantom limb. By looking at the reflection on the side with the normal hand, the mirror creates the illusion of the resurrected lost limb. From this perspective, the patient gains motor control over the phantom limb and can release it from the clenched position that was causing the pain. Ramachandran experimented on many patients who had successful treatments with the mirror box. It occurred to us that if one could somehow enable the patient to generate voluntary movements in his phantom, he might be able to unclench it during the spasms. The very first time he tried this, the patient exclaimed with considerable surprise that all his movements had come back, that he now vividly experienced muscle and joint movements in his phantom. He was immediately able to unclench his phantom. The procedure was repeated several times with identical results. Through repeated uses of the mirror box, Patients have reported that the phantom limb disappears along with the pain. The repeated remapping of the messages being sent from the brain to the phantom gradually helps the brain reimagine its own body image. The brain and body accept the change that has occurred and recreates itself. The brain has a predisposed belief system and the mirror box forces it to question these ideals ingrained in our body image. In order to alleviate pain, 
we can reinterpret the messages in our memories, just as we can remap our physical body image. Experimental belief systems can be put into question. The brain can change. Memories and what they mean can change. We had taken to shooting pool. One of my friends went so far as to purchase a personal cue stick. I enjoyed walking into a pool hall strutting beside him, high school boys moonlighting as hustlers. Pool halls offered a place where we could establish ourselves. The games were friendly, the point to embrace our position as outsiders. There was no status, no need to prove or seek approval. We were playing an unusually intense game. The eight ball was up for grabs, and a hushness surrounded the table before each shot. A winter wind blew every time the door opened, and just as I was about to take the winning shot, a shot of cold air distracted me. Tyler walked through the door with a few friends. I missed the shot, scratching on the eight ball resulting in a forfeit. Tyler picked a table in the corner opposite us. He came over to me and said, Hello. There might have been a smugness to my response, a coldness. My contentment as an outsider displayed externally. The conversation did not last much longer after hello, and he retreated back to his table. It was time to leave. Outside, Tyler and his friends were loading into a car. They reversed, and the car stopped perpendicular in front of us. Tyler looked at me through the window. I won't say there was a sadness in his eyes, more of a realization that although he might have made the effort to speak to me, our original friendship was based on little more than proximity and convenience. Our lives intersected for a short period of time and transformed into something else. I have not thought about Tyler in many years. When I was thinking about memories and how the brain interprets them, and if it is possible to change what they mean, he popped into my head. This caused me to reflect on other relationships and how many of them mirrored this experience. I considered myself an outsider, but still chased the cool crowd, wanted to be liked by people of status, and by association be considered interesting. I placed these memories that I wanted reinterpreted in one side of the mirror box. And in the other side, I inserted the part of who I am now, not who I think I am, or who I think I should be, or who I thought I was, the part that I have come to understand as me. I look at the reflection of these memories in the mirror from a different perspective. Through multiple viewings, they have changed. I see a sensitive boy that wanted to fit in. I see that the very qualities that were suppressed or uncool survived intact and were welcomed and wanted. I see that the people I want to pull closer want to pull me closer in spite of my insecurities and anxieties. I see those memories unclenching a little more every time I use the mirror box. I look at them from a different perspective. I see how memories can be changed and how these tiny increments add up and create moments of overwhelming understanding. 
I see how incredible pain can be released. I see how the absolute joy of unclenching cannot be achieved without releasing the pain. They exist in order to define the other. Joy or pain cannot exist autonomously. They transform. Memories change. Memories are plastic. Paul's Picks, where I briefly tell you about something I'm reading, watching, or listening to. David Sedaris is one of the major reasons why I do what I do. The first time I saw him on David Letterman, I had no idea what was happening. He was standing at a podium reading from a piece of paper. He was serious and out of point, but he was also very funny. Who was this Superman? I devoured his latest book, Theft by Finding. For nearly 40 years, Sedaris has faithfully kept a diary in which he records his thoughts and observations on the odd and funny events he witnesses. From deeply poignant to laugh-out-loud funny, these diary excerpts collected in Theft by Finding reveal with new intimacy a man long-time readers only think they know. Tender, hilarious, illuminating, and endlessly captivating, a rare look into the mind of a great comic artist. You know, I was going to include excerpts from that uh, David Letterman story that I first saw Sedaris perform on, but you know what? Fuck it. Let's just uh, play the whole thing. It's only about five minutes, and it's worth it. All right. Welcome back to the program. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sedaris is kind enough to read for us tonight one of his essays. David? A while back, Esquire asked me to contribute to their style issue, and I don't really have any. And so I wrote a series of essays uh, uh, devoted to some of my more depressing mistakes, and this is one of them. I've always liked the idea of accessories, those little pick-me-ups designed to invigorate what has come to feel drab and predictable. A woman might rejuvenate her outfit with a vintage Hermes scarf or jaunty rope belt, but the options for men aren't nearly as interesting. I'm not the type for cufflinks or suspenders, and while I'll occasionally pick up a new tie, it hardly leaves me feeling kicky. (laughs) Hidden accessories can do the trick, but again, they're mainly the providence of women. Garter belt and lingerie, yes. Sock garter and microbrief, no. (laughs) It was my search for something discreet, masculine, and practical that led me to the stadium pal an external catheter currently being marketed to sports fans, truck drivers, and anyone else who's tired of searching for a bathroom. At first inspection, the device met all my criteria. Was it masculine? Yes, and proudly so. Knowing that no sensible female would ever voluntarily choose to pee in her pants, the manufacturers went ahead and designed a product exclusively for men. Unlike a regular catheter, which is inserted directly into the penis, the Stadium Pal connects by way of a a self-adhesive condom, 
which is then attached to a flexible rubber tube. <laughs> Urine flows through the tube and collects in the freedom leg bag, <laughs> conveniently attached to the user's calf. The bag can be emptied and reused up to 12 times, <laughs> making it both disgusting and cost-effective. <laughs> and what could be manlier? Was it discreet? According to the brochure, unless you wore it with shorts, <laughs> no one needed to know a thing about it. Was it practical? At the time, yes. I don't drive or attend football games, but I did have a book tour coming up, and the possibilities were endless. Five glasses of iced tea followed by a long public reading. Thanks, stadium pal. The window seat on an overbooked cross-country flight? Don't mind if I do. <laughs> I ordered myself a stadium pal and realized that while it might make sense in a hospital, it really wasn't very practical for day-to-day -day use. In an open-air sporting arena, a piping hot 32-ounce bag of urine might go unnoticed. <laughs> Not so in a stuffy airplane or a small crowded bookstore. An hour after christening it, I smelled like a nursing home. <laughs> On top of that, I found that it was hard to pee and do other things at the same time. <laughs> Reading out loud, discussing my dinner options with a flight attendant, checking into a fine hotel, each activity required its own separate form of concentration. And while no one knew exactly what I was up to, it was pretty clear that something was going on. I think it was my face that gave me away. That and my oddly swollen calf. What ultimately did me in was a self-adhesive condom. <laughs> Putting it on was no problem, but its removal qualified as what, in certain cultures, is known as a bris. <laughs> Wear it once and you'll need a solid month in order to fully recover. It would likely be a month in which you'll weigh the relative freedom of peeing in your pants against the unsightly discomfort of, well, scabs. <laughs> Ultimately realizing that in terms of acute accessory, you're better off with the new watch band. <laughs>
That's all for now. Until next time, keep listening to each other.